Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode 160. I am Mel from Metal Hammer. Uh, thanks for joining us. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you also to the Conjurer guys for providing the amazing theme tune that you heard at the start of the show. They did that for us a couple of weeks back, and I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, go listen to Conjurer if you don't listen to Conjurer. Why would you not be listening to them? One of the best bands in the UK right now. Uh, joining me on the podcast today is the one and only Eleanor Goodman, Deputy Editor of Metal Hammer. How are you doing, Elle? Enjoying the lovely weather? I am very well, Merle. Loving the sunshine. It's total ice cream weather. How are you doing? It's true. Ice cream weather's back. Uh, I'm good, thank you. Uh, joining me also today is the one and only Stephen Hill, one of the most beautiful contributors on metal hammer oh well, thank you very much <laughs> that's that's very nice of you um thank yes yeah, i'm good thanks i mean didn't actually ask whether i was good or not but i am so that's good uh, i was just trying actually this is not very good for the podcast listeners but my cat's just walked in i was going to try and grab her for eleanor because i know you like to see her don't you well bonjour I cam i love to i love to see bonjour tantalizingly out of reach she's just lying on the carpet but she's too far away because i got my headphones in so unfortunately maybe she'll stay there and we'll do it afterwards so it'll be a little post podcast treat for both of you we'll record we'll record, we'll record um, bonjour like meowing or something and put it on a patreon or something like that that's how this works these days isn't it good good i get technology uh, we are doing a reader Q&A special this week. We do these every so often on the Metal Hammer podcast. If you want to get involved in the next one, go over to facebook.com slash readers. It's where all the most dedicated readers of the magazine and listeners of the podcast all hang out. It's where we like to hang out as well. So we all talk about lots of stuff. There's been lots of interesting debates going on this week, uh, some of which uh, I've actually kind of snuck into the questions because um, I thought one of them was really interesting. Uh, one of the points that kind of got raised in general was so interesting this week that I thought we should talk about it on the pod as well. Um, and yeah, it's where you should come hang out to talk to us and let us know what you're thinking of what we're doing at Hammer, what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of, all that good stuff. You know how it works. But um, it is facebook.com slash readers if you want to get involved because we're doing another one of these in the next few weeks or so for sure. Um should we just get stuck in? I thought it was kind of obvious what we wanted to start with for this for this week. So do you want to take the first question, Al? Big news. Big reunion news. This is from Mark Baker. How great is the news that Mudvayne are reforming? Do they get unfairly lumped in with the crud of new metal? Or were they really the aggressive version of Tool that they seemed to aim for? I'm fascinated by both your answers to this. Um, before we really get into Mudvayne in general... The Tool comparison, interesting. Probably the two two biggest Tool fans at the magazine in front of me right now. What are you saying about this Mudvayne were an aggressive version of Tool vibe from Mark? Dead silence. That's a good sign. <laughs> I don't think they could be compared to Tool at all, but I think what he's getting at is the rhythmical parts of Tool um, and Mudvayne have some of those kind of more interesting rhythms on there but in terms of subject matter and composition i'd say they're pretty different yeah i get it i think they've probably got more to do with tool than they have with slipknot to be perfectly honest musically um the whole should they be lumped in with the crud of new metal i don't really think they've got very much to do with new metal at all i think it's quite a stretch to compare pretty much any band at all really like I, I think i can definitely see why someone would think that about mudvayne i think mudvayne were 
pretty unfairly maligned let's be honest because of when they came out and the way they looked really and i guess their association with sean crayon as well a little bit at the time people sort of seemed to look at them as a sort of budget slipknot and the at the time when slipknot were more of a new metal band i don't really strictly think they're they're really a new they really ever were a new metal band i mean there's certainly odd time signature progressive elements to ld50 I don't. I think you need a bit more than that to be tall, frankly. But um, yeah, like Eleanor says, I think subject matter-wise and composition-wise and just the whole general aesthetic of the band, there's not. It's not an obvious fit to compare those two bands. But I do think there are probably far more similarities with Tool and Mudvayne than there are with like I don't know the fucking Union Underground and Mudvayne. Personally, I think the guitar tone is really new metal, like. If you're, I think you kind of said they don't really have much in common, but I think the that tone of how they sound when they riff is really new metal. But yeah, like looking back on it, when you think about what else was around all the time with the kind of rhythms they were using and the sort of slightly jazz type things that I was trying to do. And it, yeah, it's more diverse than I remembered it being. I think at the time I was just like, this is a new metal band, but there's more in that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's interesting because I think one of the reasons I love kind of new metal in terms of like the culture and the era is because, I mean, I, I suppose this could apply. I don't know. Like, I don't feel like there were loads of like non-thrash bands that would have got lumped in with thrash. Do you know what I mean? When thrash kind of really broke for the first time. I guess it did kind of happen with grunge. You always like get people that aren't happy with Alice in Chains getting there with a grunge band and all that kind of thing. But because new metal as a movement... I mean, once it got past Corn, pretty much a lot of stuff that came after Corn was already kind of a bastardized version of it, or a more extreme version of it, or a more cartoonish version of it. That the whole kind of net of what new metal as a movement encompassed just got so big that, yeah, I totally agree that maybe musically it would be silly to try and compare like Mudvayne to POD. But as part of the scene and, and, and the time, they were like an iconic band. Like, if you had any kind of involvement with new metal like even now i know people who had never heard of like edema or taproot they don't know those kind of one hit wonder band but everyone remembers mudbane like they were on never mind the buzzcocks they played that dig video and stuff like it was so huge at the time so i do get why it's kind of lumped in with that um world but i think just the sheer ferocity of the response to them reuniting which to be honest is like shocked me actually shows you just how much uh, more they were maybe considered at the time and maybe how much more their legacy have grown since they've not been around because as much as I think it's generally accepted that LD50 is a great album and you know they weren't a fucking one-hit wonder band or anything like that I still wasn't expecting them to kind of get the response that they've got I mean they've been booked to headline a, a festival a, a DWP festival in the states called Incarceration which is in Ohio um, and the other two headliners are Slipknot and Rob Zombie and Mudvayne a headline in the Saturday night of that festival. Like Can't get my head around that. I, I didn't know they were headlining that. Jesus. Yeah. Look, here's the poster, Steve. There it is. <laughs> Holy shit. Do you think that it's one of those things where there's a disparity that we didn't know about between the UK metal scene and the US metal scene? Did their later albums get a lot of rock radio play or something? Because... Here, I had a copy of LD50. I think it was a, actually, sorry, Mudvayne. I think it was actually like one someone had burned for me. And I remember listening to that like 
a lot with my friends, but I never followed them. I just kind of listened to that record and didn't listen to the others. I think the last one was in like 2009 or something. Did they kind of fizzle out here but carry on in America? Are they more missed over there than they are here? I'm just looking, and their album from 2005 called Lost and Found went to number 87 on the UK album chart and number two on the UK on the US Billboard 200, um, which is pretty amazing and the one after that by the looks of things is called the new game and that peaked at number well number 15 in uh, in the u.s didn't chart in the uk at all and their final studio album their self-titled album from from 2009 um that reached number 53 on the u.s billboard so it's a bit of a drop-off in like a four-year period but um, I mean, didn't again, didn't chart at all in the UK and only charted in the US. So obviously they were clearly a lot bigger in the US, even towards the, you know, the kind of latter period, latter part of their career than they were anywhere else. Yeah, it seems that way. And like you look at the, yeah, those streaming stats and you see that like, uh, this is all got a bit number wang, but you see that like, you know, I mean, you go to someone and go, what do you think the most popular Mudbane song is? And everyone would say Dig, obviously. Um, it's got about half the number of streams of the most popular song, which is Happy, off that uh, off that 2005 album. And I've tried to look at why... It's got nearly 100 million streams, and I've tried to kind of look at why this song, out of all the songs, is so big. I mean, it was used as a WWE theme. Um, it's been used Pharrell in commercials Williams. and stuff. Um, Pharrell Williams? Pharrell Williams. It's a hat in it. That's <laughs> the song you're talking about? No, obviously not. Um, I love that song. It's a song for a happy day. No. I can't be doing with that tune. That was when Pharrell jumped the shark for me. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so, um, and, and that got on the, yeah, that was the number one on the US Billboard Hot uh, hot Mainstream Rock tracks. Oh, how many fucking Billboard Rock things are they there? They got loads. They got Too loads. Many. Um, but yeah, anyway, the point is they're obviously a big, big deal. And this is a really big thing in the States. And, you know, I, I think I was saying to Steve actually a few months ago that, I didn't actually own LD50. I remember playing it around at least a couple of mates' houses. So it was like, it was kind of always in my peripheral when it came out. And obviously Dig was all over the, the video channels and stuff. But I wasn't like a, a diehard Mudvayne fan at all compared to some of the other new metal era bands I really went for. But this kind of excitement around them coming back is actually quite infectious. And seeing them announce for that lineup did kind of make me think, yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind seeing quite a lot of LD50 tracks live in front of a, a headliner-sized crowd. I think that would be amazing. So, um, I mean, I think it's cool. It's unexpected. I'm going to be fascinated to see if they feel like they need to dress up like mint humbugs and strawberries again. Because um, some of those, some of that makeup, I don't think, look good at the time, let alone now. I know they kind of ditched it quite early on in their career, but for a lot of people, like that is mud vein. So... I don't know. I'll be, I'll be interested to see how it all, how it I mean, all goes down. The thing is, is that, I mean, I was talking about this the other day, like, it just everything comes back round. Everything comes back round and becomes reappraised and cool at some point. I think I said it on this show last week. Like, you know, every single thing. I was looking at the reviews, like, ran, like randomly. I was looking at the reviews for the first Tears for Fears album. And Tears for Fears, now everyone thinks, oh, they're this massive band in the 80s that everybody loved. Well, when... At the time, they reviewed with reviewed with terrible, terrible reviews, and I think like Limp Biscuit have never been cooler than they are now. Have never been. Oh, I was looking at the streaming numbers for Limp Biscuit, 
it's more than basically every other metal band you can think of apart from Metallica. And they've not released a record in like a decade or something. Uh, I yeah. never thought I'd see a day where people were kind of like actually repping for Limp Biscuit as a, not just a fun band, I think that's, you know, but actually like a kind of cool, credible band. And I feel like there are a whole load of people who are like, no, no, Limp Biscuit are genuinely amazing. I mean, you know, we. I always felt like that, Steve. <laughs> I don't think. I think we're kind of probably three um, outliers in that. That we probably like them pretty much the whole time. I feel very vindicated by the new metal love that's that's coming through. But it will. <laughs> it, will it will all. Uh, everything will be like people are going to be talking about Attila. I think I said it before. People will be talking about Attila like they're some classic band that's something in a few years. It's going to happen. Probably. I'm just going to ignore right. that. But it's just, I think it's the, just the way people are consuming music now as well, because I think it's it's not just kind of nostalgia freaks in their 30s and 40s that are kind of pushing the new metal bandwagon back up the hill. It, I think like there's so many kids that are kind of digesting music in different ways now. And you're seeing see things like TikTok and everything else. You're seeing songs like Last Resort, for instance, just get a completely new lease of life on there to the extent where like Papa Roach are doing admittedly an awful but nonetheless are doing a kind of new TikTok friendly version of Last Resort and all this kind of stuff like pop culture is kind of eating itself before our eyes and it's just a really fascinating thing to see I mean and if you know man if it makes like Limp Bizkit want to tour one more time and play the hits live I'm totally fine with that I know nostalgia is a dangerous and toxic thing but you know who cares? I like that Jerris Johnson <laughs> version. The Jerris Johnson version of Last Resort, I think that's good. But Papa Roach's streaming numbers are huge as well, although they are an active band, so maybe that's more reason for it to be that way. Yeah, although I strongly suggest... Um, oh, sorry, I strongly think a lot of that probably is to do with, like, 200 million people streaming Last Resort or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, they are definitely uh, doing all right as well in this whole thing. Um, speaking of nostalgia, going to take us all the way back to the... The old golden year of 2020 for this next question. Uh, David Inglis asks, uh, well, first of all, he says, hi, I hope you're all keeping well. Thanks, Dave. You too. Uh, he says, what are some of the metal albums and songs from 2020 that you're still regularly listening to just now? This is a good question because obviously we get to December in our job and you kind of make a big song and dance about the albums of the year and you're celebrating all those records and, you know, the new year starts, you're listening to new stuff again and like sometimes things fall by the wayside and it did make me think, actually, what am I still listening to from my uh, kind of end of year list? And I had to kind of go through it and remind myself. So I don't know, what have you been listening to, El, from last year? Bring Me the Horizon, post-human survival horror. There's just a ton of bangers on there. It just doesn't get old for me. Just really, really like that record. I've actually probably um, listened to that more this year than last year, you know. Like it, and I, we weren't I, allowed that in our end of year lists either, were we? Because it's technically an EP. Uh, I guess so. I think it's. I feel like I didn't have it because we weren't allowed, but I can't remember now because 2020 was a long time ago. <laughs> it really wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Jonathan Holton, Chance from Another Place. That was on my end of 2020 list as well. It's just a really cool, chill record. Jonathan obviously was in tribulation, left I think the end of last year, and he did a really cool thing at Roadburn Redux this weekend as well. He pre-recorded a video of himself that was very stylized of him all dressed up in the forest. He sang a couple of tracks from it, so that made me 
go back to it as well. I love Catatonia, City Burials. Again, that's quite a sort of soothing record for me. I think the ones that I've been playing from last year have either been the kind of like big fuck it ones or the feel better ones. And City Burials has um, a mixture. There's some really sort of metal ones. There's some really progressive metal ones. It's just a really great record. So everyone should listen to that. And then my number one last year was Ohms by Deftones, but I I actually haven't listened to it that much this year because I felt like I'd rinsed it so much. I didn't want to ruin it for myself. So I still love that record and I'm going to listen to it soon, but I've just been holding off a little bit so I don't ruin one of my favourite records. I haven't listened to that Deftones album at all, actually, this year. I thought it was really good. Now, Steve, you gave... uh... Code Orange's album a 10 out of 10 this year uh, last year even so is it still in regular rotation for you or have you changed your mind <laughs> no not at all no funnily enough um, I was going to say I, I kind of didn't want to say Code Orange because I say it all the time and I guess people probably like that's obvious um, I knew he'd say that and I'm sorry if you knew I was going to say that but unfortunately that is sort of still the album that if I'm feeling like listening to something quite sort of contemporarily heavy I will go to there's been a few other things I mean to be perfectly honest with you there's not been a lot in sort of heavy heavy music that has really stuck with me from last year that much if I'm being perfectly honest I think the Aranzi Pazuzu album from last year because it was so weird and different it was like the first time I really got into them I've 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 whacked that on a few times. I think that's something incredibly unique. I mentioned Jay Jail last year. I'm not really sure how much that counts as metal, but I've listened to that a fair bit um, over the last few months because I think those songs are just really, really brilliant. The Palm Reader album, Sleepless, um, I listened to quite a lot as well. And um, the other one's Close by Ohms. You said Ohms by Deftones, but Ohms, the UK, um, what are they, stoner sludge metal thing? Um, yeah, really, I really love that record, and that has been something which I've continually listened to. I mean, probably not, maybe not in full, but certain tracks in isolation, I just think are, are amazing on that record. So I'd say they're probably the ones that have stuck with me the most. But really, like Code Orange has tended to be the one that I've really gone back to a lot. I mean, there's stuff like Run the Jewels and Clip In, which I talked about last year, which I still listen to both of those albums a lot. Um, they're both fucking amazing, but they're not they're not metal records, are they? So No, I mean I was gonna say the one um Rather Jewels will be up there as well. The one album I've listened to the most from last year, uh so far in twenty twenty one, wasn't a metal album either. It's still that Biffy album, which is probably my overall probably tied with Run the Jewels for my overall album of the year across like everything last year. Um, and I still play it all the fucking time. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, I still play the Trivium album quite a lot, especially like sometimes if I want to just get fired up quickly before I'm doing something, I'll just put on Scatter in the Ashes because I just love that song so much. Um, and uh, I still play the Cavellatech album a fair bit as well. Um, and again, like if I just want a quick like uh, fire up um, kind of track on there or I'll try to work on a playlist, I'll play um, the single off it, which I've completely forgotten. Oh, uh, Crack of Doom. I'll just put that on really quickly. Um and yeah, the Code Orange album still gets regular rotation as well. But um, I do need to revisit some of my lists from last year because I was looking at stuff from it, like the A. Williams album, the Oceans of Slumber album, 
Um, I wish I could listen to the Backwash album more, but it's not on Spotify. Uh, but I think it's on Bandcamp. Um, she has a new album coming soon as well, Backwash. So we'll definitely talk about that when that drops. That's really exciting. Uh, so yeah, it was a good year and those albums definitely deserve to be celebrated some more. Uh, Tom Farrow asks, the recent 100 Greatest 21st Century Songs edition, that was from a couple of months back, uh, he wants to know, how were these songs whittled down? Was it a similar way to the albums of the year list? Also, were there any songs that just missed out? Um, yeah, I mean, no, it wasn't like similar to the albums of the year list because the albums of the year list is just a straight up poll of our contributors. Everyone uh, gets an equal kind of say on what goes in. And then um, the the kind of the the ranking is done by a point system, so it's just purely democratic. Um, with the top one hundred greatest twenty first century songs, uh, it was more like we all picked a ton in the team. We then invited uh, our readers over on the Facebook page. I said earlier, facebook.com slash readers. Come join in. You can actually contribute to the magazine. Um, we got some of them to pick some. Uh, we got some people in bands to pick some as well. And then we kind of just, uh, as a team, kind of editorialised it and kind of thought, okay, like, if you can try and be objective about this, what makes the most sense to kind of put these songs in? And, it, you know, they can be quite a painstaking process in many ways, but um, they're also a lot of fun because obviously everyone's got slightly different perspectives on what greatness counts as in those kind of contexts. Um, but uh, I was reading back through that issue the other day and I think it's pretty cool if we do say so ourselves i think chop suey was a about as an objective choice you can get for a song like that when you say what do you reckon yeah definitely i mean i think we said it at the time when it went in on the list that we did um it's just uh it's got all the things hasn't it it's culturally significant it's very very popular it was critically adored it represented some sort of shift in the sound um of metal um it kind of captured the zeitgeist and it's pretty much as big and as universally popular then as uh, now as it was back then in 2001 so i think you'd be hard pressed it kind of ticks literally every single box that you would want that would make a song important do you know what i mean so yeah i don't really think anyone can really argue with chop suey i think even the people that would argue against it who are just being contrary twats still go wake up I'm still I'm sure they still know how to do that and I bet most people couldn't do that with their alternative pick absolutely not it's beyond iconic what were you gonna say just that the second part of the question were there any songs that just missed out there were some songs that just a missed lot out. of songs that just missed out yeah I mean I've got a few that I wanted to put in personally but like Mel said we had to try and be objective I really wanted to put in Angie WK's Party Hard because I just think that's an ultimate anthem. Alison Chains, something from When Black Gives Way to Blue. A Perfect Circle, 36 Crazy Fist, Slit, Slit Wrist Theory, Beartooth in between. All I think Beartooth got in, didn't it? I don't think it did. I thought Beartooth got in. I might be incorrect. This is what happens because there's so, you know, you end up with a list of like 200 songs or something and there's so much kind of like last minute swapping like no we can't not put this one in but oh that means this one has to come out and ah so um you know even off the top of our heads obviously we've got it all noted down because uh we're professionals but um even just thinking Bear about tooth it is not in there i've just checked online no way, way. Well, there you go. sorry Caleb. 100 wasn't enough Pro- probably the correct decision i would say but um 
uh, for Beartooth. Andrew WK, I think, would have been a great one. I, I didn't. I mean, I, I didn't have a lot to do with the picking of it, but I think I did say to you, if you don't put one arm scissor in there, I'm never speaking to you again. <laughs> that was that was luckily that was already in there, so we're still friends. <laughs> but yeah, that was in that was kind of quite an early uh, like that was like a first round nominee, I think, for the list. Uh, I mean, for me, it was like you could just put in. It was hard to kind of know where to set the limit for like things like new metal one hit wonders and things like that because there were some like massive songs from that scene but you can't really just chuck them all in there i think we ended up putting halo by soil in there because we felt like that was kind of representative of a just past initial new metal burst it's an iconic song um and uh you kind of have to acknowledge some of those kind of like one hit wonder bands in there i know there's those people that be like oh soil on a one hit wonder but i mean come on man i think their second biggest song was like a cover of like black bay or something yeah so how did we not put alice in chains in though that record was incredible because i feel like so good as much as that album was amazing check my brain yeah Yeah, check my brain your decision looking in view black gives way to blue which i thought you would have loved because that's the elton john one yeah that, that is a good tune i mean it's not really oh elton isn't exactly very forthcoming this, on that tune but <laughs> i can't remember how this went down i must have argued for it and it got chucked out by somebody on the team but i'm not sure how it happened probably me i'm quite uh i'm quite vicious when it comes to just cutting stuff i'm like we haven't got time for this um look if it was a night when we did the 90s list alice and chains were like there with a bullet all right you can't have every decade um unless you're iron maiden uh but <laughs> Steve, do you want to do the next question? Yeah, sure, sure I do. Hold on, let me get it up. I wasn't ready to go then. Um, so, Jatinda J. Tor asks, I've been listening to a lot of new bands from A Rising Empire, and it feels like the golden, the golden era of Roadrunner in the early 2000s. Golden era of Roadrunner was 93 to 98, by the way. But anyway, um, do you think record labels, especially from the metal world, can have that glory again? No. um no i mean it's uh the thing i mean it's interesting because i think rising empires is you know it's a it's a cool label it's generally poised as like a kind of younger uh, metal label um i did have to kind of just go back and check which bands are on their label because i couldn't name loads off the top of my head and they got some interesting ass like annie is okay and heart of a cow the landmarks and um bands like that i mean Like, in terms of, like, labels coming out with cutting-edge, exciting, vital, young, heavy bands, then, yeah, like, we're in a great period for that right now. I mean, Roadrunner are probably having their best era for a couple of decades in terms of putting out young, great young bands. Um, everyone from Code Orange to Creeper to whoever, like, they've just got a fucking great roster. Um, uh, oh, what's the label who came out of the ashes of Holy Rule? Church Road. Church Road. Yeah, Church Road. They've got a fantastic um, kind of, they're doing some great things as well. Nuclear Blast are signing a lot of great young bands along with the uh, a kind of unbelievable roster of um, more veteran bands they've got. So I think in terms of like, you know, just a, a record label putting out great, exciting new bands, it's as good now as it's ever been on that front. But in terms of like being like a powerhouse kind of chart-dominating, counter-cultural, defining force. I don't know. I feel like metal's not at that point right now. Maybe it could get there again. But I think, um, you know, 
it's going to take more than architects kind of having to basically initiate an entire campaign around getting on one, one album for us to kind of feel like metals is, is in that kind of space again do you know what i mean yeah i think there's some really great labels like i mean southern lords do amazing kind of doom stuff there's an album coming out this week actually by big brave on that label which is fucking amazing which is out today or friday as you listen to this podcast which is fantastic and they do lots of really cool kind of sludgy shit um amazing and you know jacob bannon and what he's done with death wish is kind of turn it into a brand as well and you mentioned church road like there's loads of really cool records for uh, really cool record labels for specific types of stuff if you in, are into a really really specific type of stuff but in terms of yeah that kind of glory period for roadrunner which i'm sorry is definitely the 90s is definitely the early to mid 90s is not the early 2000s i think them having machine ed sepultura slipknot vision of disorder shelter dog eat dog biohazard and obituary and deicides um is a bit better than when they had like downer and chimera like come on um uh, i think you find they signed nickelback at the end of the 90s so right yeah okay which trivium sales wise yeah but that was yeah i mean they had they did have you know they had trivium and slipknot and machine head and kill switch engage and you know so like the early 2000s had a lot to say for itself in roadrunner land but i know what you mean the, the label kind of defined its legacy in the 90s i guess yeah but i think if and i think if you're somebody who got into metal in the early 2000s roadrunner was still massive for you so you might not have known about all that other stuff from the 90s maybe but i mean undoubtedly that is the glory period right i think that's I think there's a fair, probably a fairly objective argument there. Although my favourite... Typo negative as well. Roadrunner Fear album ever probably is Alive or Just Breathing and that's from 2002. So what do I know? Let's just say they enjoyed success in the 90s and the 2000s. And the 2010s and the 2020s. Hooray for Roadrunner. They have been really good like recently. Um, but yeah, I don't think the idea of one label having i mean you know let's take that success of roadrunner at that time when chaos ad bloody kisses burn my eyes all came out within you know river runs red by life of agony all kind of came out within a like 18 month period of each other and you know they were they were the the big the big like every fucking band you saw pretty much in that period with the exception of pantera who were like exciting contemporary metal bands fear factory and biohazard as well like the ones that people were really looking at a lot pretty much everybody was on was on roadrunner pretty much yeah fair point they were they were and have been uh, an absolute powerhouse um do you want to do the next question Il? yeah sure kevin rowan says i first got into system of a down through the film pets at home Bounce from the poodle scene. Which bands have got you? Which bands? This I oh, fucked this up, haven't I? I've to start again. Which bands have you first got into through a TV or film soundtrack? So I, I love think, the first idea. Of all, that... Sorry, go on. <laughs> I was gonna say. I think first of all, the film isn't called Pets at Home. It's called The Secret Life of Pets, and I know that because I went to see it at the cinema on my birthday, and I forgot my glasses, and I had to wear my sunglasses in there. That's uh, <laughs> an unexpected aside. Um, I just love the idea that someone... This is this shows you how 
we it's so easy to just take for granted that you know everyone knows who system of down are everyone's heard system of a down you know we we're talking about chop suey being such an iconic song blah 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 blah. i love the idea that someone was watching uh secret life of pets and heard bounce and just went what the fuck's this like of all the places <laughs> to get into system of a down like i would have not have expected that in like 2001 do you know what i mean i love that they put that in the film as well that the dog's just really into metal and when the owner goes away they're just like yeah system of a down i've not actually seen the film is it is it actually all right i wanted to see it just because i like cute animals but it's not a pixar film so there's no emotional push it's just some cute animals on an adventure which is fine but there's no layers to it at all it's quite superficial but it's got a system of a down in it so it's fine 10 out of 10 um, have you ever got into a have you ever got into a band from uh from a, a film or I really struggle with this question actually. I've got an answer, but it's what it's something I've talked about before. Well I tell I you think what mine's obvious. Go on. You sure you wanna hear it? Is it the crow? <laughs> mine's obvious. No, it wasn't the crow actually. Um I think I was into a lot of the stuff on the crow before I saw the crow. All I was gonna say really was the same thing applies to something like Queen of the Damned, which I'm obsessed with. And I was into Corn, Disturbed, Static X, etc. But there was other stuff on the soundtrack that I'd never heard. One of those bands was Kidney Thieves. They had the song Before I'm Dead. And they're still a band now. It says on Facebook that they're working on something new, which is quite cool as well. I think the last record was 2016. And there was another band on there called Dry Cell, which I thought were really cool. But they only had one record in 2002 that was signed to Warners and they were signed by Jeff Blue, who signed Linkin Park, but nothing ever happened. I'm pretty good about that. I thought they were a good new metal band. A rarity, to be fair. Um, yeah, uh, I've got a couple. So I saw, I don't, but I don't know if either of them really count because I feel like I would have got into these bands anyway, but I think it was the first time I heard them. So um, uh, The Crow City of Angels, the pretty awful follow-up to The Crow, I went to the cinema to see that, and there's a scene where Deftones are playing Teething. So I would, And I was like, wow, this is great. And then Teething is on The Crow City of Angels soundtrack. And then I went and bought Adrenaline after that. I think I probably would have bought Adrenaline anyway because Chino was then on Life is Peachy by Korn as well. So it sort of felt like a... a I kind of, if you compartmentalise that, that was all helping to get me into Deftones. So there's that. Also, the first time I ever heard Lamb of God, I went to the cinema to see um, Metal Ahead Banger's Journey. You know the, you know that documentary? The Banger yeah. Films one? Really, really good. And the first song they played is on it, when it sort of kicks off, is Laid to Rest by Lamb of God. And it was the first time I'd heard Lamb of God. Because um, this would have been like 2004. So it wouldn't have been. I think it was just as as the Palace's Burn was coming out. So it's, yeah, two thousand four, two thousand five, and I remember being like, "What? The, wow, this song's fucking awesome!" And waiting till the credits at the end to go, "Who was that?" And that's kind of what made me go out and buy. It. I think I bought as the Palace's Burn, and I got Sacrament on import just because I was like of that song. So Lamb of God and Deftones. If only they were as big as... What were the other ones out? Dead Cell and Pony Fuckers or something. No, Kidney Thieves. <laughs> Where did you get Pony Fuckers from? Only ponies should fuck other ponies. Uh, I, that's a good phrase to live by. <laughs> <laughs> um, True. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I've ever actually got into 
um, a metal band from a soundtrack, to be honest. The only thing I can compare to is the thing I've talked about loads of times, so sorry, but is, I mean, I guess if WWE can count as a TV show, then the theme tunes on it can count as its soundtrack. And so, therefore, um, Undertaker having Rolling for his theme song, that basically got me into Limp Bizkit and therefore basically got me into metal in a big way. So, I feel like that kind of counts. Am I allowed that? You've got, um, you've got Drowning Pool tatted on your neck as well, haven't you? Because they were used on the Armageddon or something. <laughs> on ECW. Yeah, that's right. I've got uh, David Draymond uh, tattooed on my back because he did that um, Disturbed did that Stone Cold cover in 2001. <laughs> I would love it if you did. That would be so good. Could you imagine? Never. Um, so, yeah, my answer's crap. Sorry, Kevin. I might go watch uh, Secret Life of Pets, though, after that. Uh, Scott Satumpel says, what fantasy world would you live in if you could? And he says he'd love to live in Middle Earth. Bit elfy for me, that. <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was a good choice. A bit elfy. Oh, a bit elfy, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> not for me. Too many elves. <laughs> That was a good you know shout I mean, from though. Scott. Why are you two just losing it? Going to look at a house. What's the neighbourhood like? Any elves? There's a couple of elves. Nah. Too, too. I like the house. I thought you loved the house. I do love the house, but too elfy. Not for me, thank you. Why are you looking in Rivendell then? <laughs> um, yeah. What's wrong with elves? Uh, nothing. They're just a bit stuck up, aren't they? They're a bit stuck up. There's something a little bit... Um, I don't know. So arrogant, aren't they? Just because they're they short. They're a bit wanky. Like, Legolas is comfortably the lamest member of the fellowship. Anyway, Scott would live in Middle Earth. I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> where would you live, Hell? Where would you live in Fantasyland? In your brain? Oh, I think you can guess mine. Under the sea? I would live in... Well, I just... It's a fantasy world, so I didn't pick as specific a place as Rivendell. But I picked the Witcher world. <laughs> <laughs> that was very telling by where your brain was at in picking that out. I would live in the Witcher's world. <laughs> I would live in the Witcher world. Why would you want to share I... the worlds with a topless Henry Cavill? Oh. If I happened to bump into Geralt, that would be totally fine. And if I was one of the priestesses at the temple, or if he was having a bath and he was there, that would also be fine. I weirdly just started playing The Witcher 3 on uh, my oh, Switch. Cool. I've, um, I've, it's obviously been out for years, but I've finished Breath of the Wild. Another good fantasy game and world um, the other the other month and I wanted someone else. So my mate let me The Witcher 3. So once I completed it, I might even go and watch the Netflix show so I can have a fucking clue what's going on. Well, I love the Netflix show um, and I've just started reading the books. There's about 10 of them. I'm on the first one. Oh, how so... is it? Because I, I was thinking about the books because they're translated, aren't they? Yeah. It's a Polish author and really enjoying it so far. Just really fun books. And I think because I've seen the TV show, then it's very easy to imagine the character of Geralt. <laughs> Steve, what would your fantasy world you live in be? I don't know about this shit, do I? Fuck's sake. Fantasy worlds? I don't know. I thought you were going to say something like something like funny, like, oh, I'd live in a fantasy world where metalheads are nice to each other or something like that. Well, that wouldn't be very funny at all, would it? So that's Or, or realistic. No, or realistic. Um, 
What's the eighties place in Grand Theft Auto? There. Vice City. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to live in Miami in the eighties? No elves. No. No, no, no. I'm gonna get myself a nice electric pink jacket. Roll the sleeves up. Get a sort of crisp white t-shirt. A big gold chain. Jump on your moped. Get on my moped. And, uh, yeah, just have a few beers, I reckon. Sounds like sounds better than whatever your shit you two have fucking gone about. Walking through bloody fields and up mountains in the snow. Fuck that. Well, I haven't given mine yet. Well, I know what you're going to say. Some shit like that, innit? Yeah, I'd be in, I'd be in Discworld. <laughs> so harsh. So I'd probably be in Discworld. I mean, Middle Earth would be cool, but um, all that Sauron stuff would be quite stressful. So I'd probably stay in Discworld where you've got more interesting characters and... Um, uh, yeah, it's funnier and what's this like Terry Pratchett? Terry Pratchett's kind of main series. Um, right. It's like uh, it's like Lord of the Rings, but kind of quite funny as well. Like very funny books. I, I love I love Terry Pratchett stuff. I might even restart them again soon because they were amazing. So that's what I feel I like that question was not really for me. Well, it could have been if you'd been creative with it. <laughs> I, so. I was creative with it. <laughs> Um, all right then since, you, since you're such a lad you do the next question instead uh, Kimberly Burrows asks let's talk banned beverages which is your favourite which ones haven't you tried yet and would like to Candlemas recently released their two flavoured shots of doom that I'm dying to try uh, in solitude violent violet licorice and gallows salty licorice if you could invent your own banned beverage based on a song what would it be oh more inventing things god being creative <laughs> yeah, god, I hate it um, I'll tell you what's lovely, and I'm going to shout out because they're friends of mine, Signature Brews um, Christmas Ale that they did with, um, it's like a bitter that they did with the darkness at the end of last year. That is, that is actually really nice. That is fucking That's lovely, good, that is. That is a good beer. Signaturebrew.co.uk, go and get your... Yeah, all right, they don't, they don't sponsor this podcast. Oh, all right, <laughs> I was getting mixed up. <laughs> um, I lived off... Uh, quite a lot of the Motorhead beers over the first lockdown, um, uh, as well as Signature. Actually, there are a few breweries that are just kind of take it in turns to like order in for the weekend each time because obviously all the pubs were closed. Um, and I went through a lot of those uh, Motorhead beers, and they're really good. Uh, I like the Metallica beer as well, although it is deceptively strong. It's like nearly six percent, so you have a few of them, you'll get knocked out. Um, I like the Metallica whiskey, even though it basically just tastes like Jack Daniels, but that's a win in my book. Uh, and I do like some of the Trooper beers as well, although not so much the super ale ones. Um, but there are a couple of nice ones as well. I was trying to think of bands that should do a beer and haven't done a beer yet. I don't think Orange Goblin have done a beer, have they? Because Ben uh, Ward would get... I reckon he'd smash making a good beer. That man knows his way around a pint. They haven't done... I don't know. Maybe they haven't. I, I don't know. But that seems like something that they should do, They right? should do it. They can call it Red Brew Rising and give it some kind of red tint. That would be my choice. And I would enjoy it very much. So let's do it. Let's do it, Orange Goblin. Orange Goblin time melt have a beer. Made by Signature Brewery. There we go. Let's make it happen. Uh, what about you, Al? What's your favourite band's brew? Um, I've got the Slipknot Bourbon, which is okay. It's oh, got I a cool that. logo on the front that's like corn from the corn fields of Iowa. Got it for Christmas. So that's quite cool. I really want to try the Clown Moonshine, but it's only available in the US. I've never had they're doing moonshine. Some kind of, they're doing some kind of special box set where you get the 
bourbon and the moonshine together, but you can't buy the moonshine by itself. But I just feel like moonshine made by clown would be weird and intense. I've never actually had moonshine, so I, I wouldn't know. Is it, is it not like quite hardcore, that stuff? Yeah, it just tastes... Well, I've had stuff, yeah, that's called shine or moonshine before, and it just tastes like pure alcohol. It just kind of tastes like... Well, it tastes like... Yeah, it just tastes like alcohol. <laughs> Delicious. I, th- I think uh, they should make a they should make an oasis moonshine and call it moonshine, and it'd be like just a sort of weaker version of the Beatles one that they already had sort of forty years ago. That's quite good. I'll drink that. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it has to be like three percent, um, and you can only drink it warm in a field at a festival. God, that God, I'm so starved of live music and stuff that actually made me feel a bit nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I'd love it. Wouldn't you love it at the moment? I'd have a two borg in a, in a paper cup. Yeah, everyone I, keeps saying that right now. It keeps coming up, two borg, because it's the you know quintessential. Warm yeah, what beer. are they? What are two borg doing? Huh? What are two borg doing? I've literally haven't seen that beer brand. Do they like do beers you can buy in shops or? Yeah, you can get a pint. You can buy a, a pint of two borg at certain pubs. I'm sure. I've never seen that. I would like to see the pub that does that. Uh, <laughs> you could do about. an Iron Maiden moonshine. I call and it you what? could call it Moonshine Child. <laughs> That's so bad. Good. Moonshine Child. <laughs> <laughs> no. Or you could just call it Moonchild. Come on, bark. Still has the word moon sure, in it. Surely it's Bark at the Moonshine by Ozzy Osbourne. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you'd buy that, wouldn't you? Um, or an REM one, if you be- can you believe they put a man on the moonshine? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I got REM's greatest hits on vinyl the other week. Fuck, fucking band. Oh, band. Amazing. Phenomenal. I like Bark at the Moonshine because it could come with some kind of dog. A werewolf. Oh, get over animals. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Sorry. Get over animals. Pathetic. Uh... Daniel Pleitez. Right, this is a serious question now. We can get our critical heads back on. Daniel Pleitez says, uh, why do people hate on Ghost, Poppy and Baby Metal? Isn't it good for metal that artists or groups from the past decade are gaining more and more momentum? Why do people hate these bands, L? And should they shut up? Well, people are very protective of their nostalgia and of their bands and of their genres. And then... Bands like Ghost and Poppy and Baby Metal come in and people say, that's not metal, that's something else, we don't like it. But I just feel like it happens with every single generation of bands. And I think it is good that artists and groups are kind of, well, people are bringing metal into sort of newer, more different times. But I think it's almost like a challenge to metal as well, isn't it? If you've got bands that aren't strictly in the metal scene, I mean, Ghost and Baby Metal are definitely in our world. Poppy's on the edge of our world, maybe should be in our world. But I think if you've got bands that are getting more mainstream attention and that are getting a lot of traction, then maybe if you're a traditional metal band, you need to be looking at it and going, we can't do the same thing for years and years and years. Let's do something new. But I don't really know what I'm talking about because there's tons of innovative bands out right now. It's just that they're not getting as much mm. um they're just not doing as well commercially, are they, I suppose? So it's like Poppy and Babe Metal are doing better commercially than some really amazing bands that are still kind of more niche or underground. 
don't know. I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Let's get it back on track. <laughs> um, it's weird, isn't it? Because the, I mean, these three bands are very different examples. I mean, there are elements of some of Poppy's songs that do sound a bit baby metalish. Having said that, but you know, Ghost, you've got this band that were completely born in the in the metal underground, and whatever people think of the last album, like the last album was basically like a pop rock album, sure, but they're still rooted in metal and it was a catchy kind of blue oyster cultury strain of metal but you know those early gigs they were playing and those early festivals they were playing and everything else like they came from the metal scene it's not like they kind of came from edm and then just went now nah, we're going to try and do be in the metal scene now like the metal scene is where they came from um baby metal are a cultural phenomenon because we've never seen anything like that before and they were morphed they morphed metal with something so recognizable of their culture that it felt different um it it kind of linked into a completely different side of the music industry and the j-pop industry and then you've got poppy who is a kind of just a unique creative artist who just takes elements from basically wherever the fuck she feels like taking them from and just mashing them together and metal is a big part of that and it's a big part of her aesthetic um so there's three different things but i guess like you said, Al, the only thing that really unites them is that none of them are kind of traditional hairy metal bands. Do you know what I mean? I do get it as well, though, in a sense, because, you know, the listening to you describe them all, the, the one thing that stands out is the fact that they are all acts. They're very much like acts. You know, Ghost have got popes and a storyline about religion. Poppy is a character she's not actually presenting as herself she's presenting as this other type of thing and baby metal um drew on idol bands and they're all characters as well they're not presented as real people they're presented as the three characters of baby metal so 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 just like manowar and iron maiden and kissing well i was gonna say yeah or (laughs) or slipknot or marilyn manson or rob zombie you know I i mean it's true i would argue there's like more artifice in them than some metal bands um Slipknot have got masks, and obviously that was a huge gimmick at the start, but that kind of stayed on as an aesthetic, but we know who they are as people now, and we know more about them and stuff. Um, You could argue that there's more authenticity with bands like that, or bands who don't have some kind of strong visual image than there are with Ghost Puppy and Baby Metal. Doesn't mean it could be less good, but people might not connect with it in the same way. I think Baby Metal is probably the outlier of the three in that sense for me because um they are i mean you know the the three girls now two girls uh, kind of said from the start they didn't really know what metal was they didn't have any connection with it when they started they have you know they are literally a manufactured band they are the product of an ingenious idea where someone thought wouldn't it be great to combine j-pop and the kind of idol culture with heavy metal and it's worked because it's it's done so convincingly and it's backed by a metal band who are legit and uh you know know what they're doing and are steeped in the history of metal but i and think songwriters too songwriters who came from metal yes definitely definitely exactly so but but there's still probably that i think that kind of like thing of like artifice probably applies most to them just because that is literally someone's just kind of manufactured that out of nothing whereas at least poppy and tobias forge are like kind of artists who are just doing their own thing and have kind of created a persona around that like with baby metal i feel like the they kind of made a persona and then kind of injected metal into that whereas um i feel like uh 
yeah, Ghost and Poppy are from the minds of Poppy and Tobias Forge, and they kind of made music and have built this weird gimmick around that. I don't know. Am I making sense, Steve? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I would say the way a little bit. Ha- Cheers. <laughs> no, no, no. You are. You are. I mean, I think the. Yeah, there's, there's. I mean, it doesn't really bother me at all that like somebody who who's written a song particularly like I don't know. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure, Cold Chamber wrote all their songs, but they're still not as good as the boy band Five. <laughs> I like both bands. So who gives a fuck? Um, metal's funny, isn't it? Because metal will tell you that it's the most open-minded genre of music and that it doesn't matter what you look like or what you say or what you sound like or where you're from, everybody's welcome. And, you know, the evidence of the, the thing that those three bands have in common is they don't look right. They don't look like they should be metal bands. And the reason people don't like it is because, I mean, ghosts are committing the most heinous crime of the three of them, I think, of looking the least like they sound. I mean, ghosts look like they should sound like Dark Throne and they don't. They sound like Blue Oyster Cult. And rather than just going, huh, that's funny how they sound like this kind of classic hard rock 70s thing with a bit of, you know, seven, you know, kind of 70s abbery pop bomb pomposity about them rather than going like, oh, what an interesting thing to do to, to sort of merge that with those visuals no people go oh no i know what those bands who look like that sound like and they don't sound like this and the end you know like that's it you're not a metal band you have to sound like that and it's really really fucking ironic that i think metal is probably the most um as a genre is probably more than any other genre is the one that cares the most about what you look like i think it's really really ironic to think that metal is this really open-minded thing when I think actually if you're two young girls you can't be metal dressing in nice dresses if you're some you know youtuber who dresses in silver and stuff and and presents herself like a a kind of robotic lady gaga you you can't be metal because you're not dressed properly and there are plenty of things like baby metal is when I remember when I first heard baby metal it was a head fuck like it was a real head fuck because those melding of those two things is is something that i'd never ever heard before so it was a real like thing to go oh god that's weird but nobody you know previously you wouldn't get i mean some people would but you shouldn't get too bent out of shape for two types of music kind of being melded together i don't see other genres getting annoyed about that i don't see other genres getting angry that hip-hop has been melded with dubstep or if you know, folk music has been melded with um, electronic music. You just don't get that in other genres. You only get it in metal. And it's all down to the the fact that, you know, this calling people, anyone who calls someone a poser because they look like Poppy or whatever, I mean, you know, you're the one in the uniform, mate. You're the one who has to dress in black and you have to wear a battle jacket and you have to grow your hair. You're the fucking, you know, you're the one who's got the uniform. You're the one who's conforming to a set of preordained ideals and those bands don't. And in any other genre, they wouldn't get shit, but they do in metal because lots and lots and lots of metal fans are really, really narrow-minded. I got stuck backstage at Download by a security guard when I was trying to get into like our temporary office area one year. And I was like, oh, I'm just trying to work. Here's my pass. And he was like, oh, you don't look like a rock chick. And I was like, fuck off. Mm. (laughs) 
Just go fuck yourself, please. I mean, I think we probably know what he meant by that, which is not criticizing anyone who chooses to look like a quote unquote rock chick, but that's, yeah, this, it's just so uh, presumptuous, isn't it? I mean, um, yeah, it's just, it's very, very odd. I, th- I think a lot of it does come down to the fact that metal has been such an outsider genre for so many years. And okay, you can't compare it to an outsider genre like hip hop, which is an entire cultural movement from a from an oppressed, uh, you know, side of society. Like it's not it's not an underdog movement in that aspect. But it's never even even when like we talked about it before, even when Limp Bizkit were number one and everything else. Like I love new metal, and I think it is absolutely a valid part of the metal world. But I wouldn't try and say that's an example of like like heavy metal being like the biggest thing in music like heavy metal in its purest form has never been the kind of the number one go-to uh cultural touch point for for music itself and so i can understand why people that have embraced it turn to metal because they recognize a community in it they recognize a, a community of outsiders in it and then they see people just kind of picking elements of it as they see fit without really wanting to actually engage in it i can understand why that that forms a bit of resentment you know like it's kind of like it it does feel like a club and it feels like if you don't know what it's like to kind of see that guy you know so drunk he's shitting himself at bloodstock and screaming slayer or whatever like then if you're not if you're not kind of part of that world it does feel a bit weird when you then see like someone like poppy i guess putting quartz paint on but then how do we know that she isn't as invested in that side of it we only don't know that or people i don't i mean i don't i think poppy's kind of cool like we only people only assume that of poppy because she's a young woman and she doesn't necessarily you know she's not stood there in a in a battle vest and an arch enemy t-shirt or whatever and we kind of make these assumptions about people but it's i don't know it's fucking weird I mean, I mean, get the fucking chip off your shoulder. Like, grow up, I would say. Just like the fucking music you like. Like, who gives a shit? Like, who gives a shit if Poppy comes? I mean, I, I've obviously, I've had this conversation, you know, especially regarding back to hybrid theory, which I was like, bringing up the new metal thing. I think, sonically, there are things, I don't think you can really listen to Poppy, um, particularly the heavy, I don't think Poppy has turned around and said, she is a metal artist. She is a pop artist. She is a, a she is a, a kind of a visual artist in many genres you know she's a youtuber and she does all these weird kind of artsy things and she's done some metal songs she's done some pop songs she's done some kind of ambient electronic stuff she's done all kinds of things i think with varying degrees of quality she's all right like you know her music's perfectly fine it's not really what i choose to listen to but if she wants to dip her toe into metal because it's something she likes or she wants to kind of adopt the iconography of black metal I've got absolutely no problem with that at all. That's something that she chooses, how she chooses to present herself. It's not going to make me go, ah, oh, I better throw all my, I better throw my fucking immortal albums away now, now that a young girl off YouTube likes this type of thing. Like, why do you fucking care? I do think, um, and Ghost are the same thing. Like, just because Ghost don't sound like a black metal band, they sound like a fucking, they sound like a Blue Oyster Cult. You probably wouldn't have a problem with Blue Oyster Cult. You probably wouldn't have a problem with old school, 70s hard rock so why have you got a problem with ghosts doesn't make sense baby metal like you've already said are really really fucking heavy yes you know musically but they're actually really heavy and they're actually like a metal band they've got solos they've got double kick drum they've got massive fuck off polyrhythmic mashuga style riffs they're just fronted by you know two young girls who, who you know who, just because they're not doing george corpse grinder fisher death growls that that's not the only trait of what metal is i think 
for me, if if musically something's being put into metal for like when when Twenty One Pilots were getting called a rock band, and I was like, I don't see where the through line is from you. It's not about how you dress or how you look or the people that you bring into that scene. It's the fact that I'm not like the stuff you're influenced by and the stuff that makes up the sonic amalgam of your music has really got nothing to do with rock music. So why are you being called a rock band? Linkin Park, when they were being called a metal band, I think Linkin Park broadly early on were a metal band, but I could see how people were like, I just don't think, I think the dilution of that sound is something which people really reacted weirdly to. And, and I am one of those people. But when you look at new metal, like no matter how weirdly they dressed or whatever they were doing, you know, like there's some really fucking heavy bands that came out of new metal. System of Down's first album in particular is really heavy. Slipknot, Iowa is really heavy. The first Corn album is really, really fucking heavy. Deftones on Around the Fur and Adrenaline, heavy, heavy bands. Like they're much heavier than Warrant or Winger or you know fucking saxon or whatever they're sonically heavy heavy bands and as long as bands continue to have some kind of level of actually being sonically powerful i honestly don't give a fuck how they fucking dress and it's the lamest most pathetic thing to bang on about how bad like the fact that i won't listen to that because that's a girl and she doesn't know about black metal who fucking cares you know about it enjoy it if that's what you listen to you go and enjoy it fucking grow up isn't it that classic thing of like if you don't like it, then you don't have to hate on it and engage with it. You could just go, like you said, and listen to something that you do like. If you've got albums you like, that's cool. Listen to them. Leave the things you don't like for someone else. Yeah, hard, hard agree. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. No, it's it's true. It's with. I mean, it. it I, I said on the Facebook earlier, like, um, on the on the Facebook group uh, earlier this week that. Like, I don't understand how someone can try and, with a straight face, say that an artist like Baby Metal doesn't belong in Metal Hammer. Like, it's ludicrous. Like, what what other kind of world is going to even be able to kind of digest that whole thing and critically analyse it and everything else, if not our world? Because that's where it's rooted. Um, and it's really, really interesting. And, and, I, and I am a firm believer, as someone that came through my first issue of Metal Hammer, I've said it many times, I picked it up because, you know, I wanted to read about bands like Limp Biscuit, and within a few issues, I was listening to bands like At The Gates. Like, like for me, metal doing well on a mainstream level is good for the scene. At the very, very least, it's not going to be a bad thing for the scene, is it? Like, it's not going to make fewer people listen to metal to go see an artist like Poppy performing on NXT or whatever else. So I think it's cool that these artists are out there I hope it continues and I hope that, you know, um, we can get to a stage like to bring us almost full circle that we can get to a stage where metal labels are signing major, major artists and are, and are, and are kind of permeating the mainstream in a, in a zeitgeist curating way. Um, I can't see a downside to, for metal for that if that happens. So you keep on doing what you're doing, Ghost Poppy and Baby Metal, if you're listening. <laughs> And look at what happened with Kevin Rowan going to see The Secret Life of Pets and getting into System of a Down. You never know how people might get into metal bands. You just need a band or a song to just be somewhere people can find it. Exactly. And if metal is all underground all the time, no one is going to find it. It's exactly. It's not going to grow as much. Imagine if someone like involved in that process was an actual metalhead and someone said, oh, wouldn't it be funny if you put a System of a Down song on there? And they went, no. No, no, no! Don't put our song on there. No, don't want you to. No, we don't. No, our music doesn't. Our music doesn't go in Disney films or whatever cartoon films. No, we don't want it. Just do, just do, just do a pop song. Don't care. 
System of Down would have one less fan, and how gutted would they be to know that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Right. Um, I was going to say something else then, but actually it'd just be fucking going off on one again, so I might just leave it. <laughs> have a little stroke of bonjour. She's sat in the bathroom window looking out at the world, ready to pounce. What a lovely image to end on. Uh, that is it for this week's show. We will be back next week. Um, and as I said, if you want to be involved in the next reader Q&A special, we should call it a listener Q&A special as well, really, shouldn't we? Because they listen to this podcast. But if you want to be in the next Q&A special, uh, go to facebook.com slash metalhammerreaders uh, and hang out and ask us some questions. Pick up the latest issue of Hammer. You've got about another week or so to pick up that Ramstein issue before we unveil a brand new issue of Hammer next week. It's all about one of the most important releases of 2021 and we are very, very excited about it. So we'll reveal that next week. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. It's goodbye from me and Steve and Elle. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.